Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we discuss an artist, a band, group, pioneers. This week we're talking about Massive Attack. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... And this is Tyler. That's it. I like that you say, and this is Tyler, because that's obviously the the next one, instead of just that's saying... It. Yeah. Because this time, yeah. for the first time, I'm pretty sure, this is just a two-person record roundtable. Have we done... We've never done that before, right? Yes. Have once. we? But not you and I. When well, we- I guess we haven't, because it was I wasn't there for MF Doom, but... Someone else was. Yeah, someone else was. Yeah. So. That's what I was trying to remember because I th- pretty, yeah, I don't think that we've ever done just two people talking for an episode so. of Record Roundtable. So, we'll see how long it lasts. Right. <laughs> so, if it's a case that you're a listener and you don't want to hear just me and Tyler talk uh, and you don't want to hear us talk about Massive Attack, you have officially been uh, sucked into the absolute worst place possible. Maybe just turn it off if you don't like that. If you, you think you might miss the entertainment portion of this whole thing. <laughs> we're, we're not here for entertainment. We're here for cold, hard facts. I still like to entertain. Yeah, yeah. We're just not as good at it. Jared, Jared is the, the, the like, I, I don't even know. What, what would even be the way to describe Jared? He's like the chaos that somehow keeps things a little bit more fluid. I suppose. I don't know. Anyways, Tyler, how did you feel about listening to Massive Attack? Pretty good. I enjoy it. Had you been into Massive Attack at all, like prior to me suggesting that we should cover them, or was it like a whole different like? This is like your first kind of time trying to get into them. It's the first time I've listened to a lot of it. I've listened to Mezzanine, some of Mezzanine before, mm-hmm. and I've listened to we. So we also listened to Portishead, which I've owned two Portishead albums. So oh, I didn't know that you were that into Portishead. I own well. I mean, I like enough that I you own the albums. Like I bought them because I kept seeing Portishead Dummy all over, and I was like, "I guess I should probably own this." Right. And I thought it was indie, <laughs> indie alt type stuff. Yeah. So I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, you know, I just kept seeing it around and people talking about Portishead. Right. Just like seeing the name, so I was like, "I should buy this," so I bought it. So it's That's different. Fair. Yeah. It's not. Indie. When I like when I first so when I first found it, I listened to Massive Attack Mezzanine as well, and I listened to Dummy from Portishead as well. Because mm-hmm. you know, for anybody who's maybe not as familiar with Massive Attack or Portishead, uh, or really Tricky, who should also be mentioned within the conversation, is that they're all from Bristol and are part of kind of the genre, if you will, that was coined as trip hop. Uh, right. Even though, like, really none of them wanted to be trip hop. Like it was kind of more just a box someone put them into, but we'll get there. Uh, but the, you know that's why we're mentioning more than just the massive attack end of things, and why we're also bringing up Portishead is because I mean we'll never talk about Portishead otherwise, probably. So. No, and that's why I wanted to make sure that we included him because like why what what other reason would we talk about Portishead if we're already talking about massive attack? So really, right. it's more of a trip hop episode uh, than it is just a massive attack. But I think that massive attack is still probably. Um, the gold standard, if you will, of trip hop to a certain degree, even though like I do think that Portishead are very, very, very good. 
I just think that people think of Massive Attack before Portishead, but I could be wrong about that. I don't know. I like Portishead more, but it's because I I think it, I think we, I think between the two of them, which one you enjoy more says a little bit about where you stand musically. Because I like sure. Portishead more, but I like I enjoy and lean towards guitar rock more than you. Right. So I mean, you you're more open on the electronical elements and and uh, yes samples and loops, which I still really enjoy, but I'm not a person who who goes there naturally as often as you do. Right. And so you, I wouldn't be surprised if you preferred Massive Attack, for instance, over. I I do, but I do. That's the thing, though, is that like it's not like like leaps and bounds, you know. Like I'm not like, oh yeah, Massive Attack is amazing in comparison to Portishead. I think Portishead is also just like phenomenal. Like Dummy is a really really good album, but I also think that it, it's it's very difficult because again, trip hop is a very odd concept in its own right because there really is such a, a lax concept of even what falls within it. Because honestly, if you listen to Blue Lines versus Mezzanine two. Completely different albums. I don't know how you put yeah, them into the same box. They're way different. Blue how? Lines is weird because it's much closer to dub. Oh yeah, no, it's it's whole it's whole ass dub. That's it's yeah. so like there are there's reggaeton, there's mm-hmm. Afrobeat, there's soul, mm-hmm. there's funk. Like it's more just like it really is just like black like forms of music. Like traditionally, black forms of music is within Blue Lines in a lot of ways. Yeah, and by the time you get to Mezzanine, it's more just like really heavy on the electronics. Um, yeah, and the guitar is more prevalent. It is more prevalent. Because, like, even just, like, the opening track of that one goes down through, like, this big, like, guitar breakdown. Right. Um, there, uh, it's, I mean, it's not a genre where, I think, I don't, I don't like to put it, when I used to hear trip hop, I used to be like, I don't really want to listen to that. Not knowing, I didn't know what it was. I actually right. didn't know that that's what it was called until today, until we did this week. Right. So, because I wouldn't like this music doesn't make me think of that word. No, I agree. It's, it's, it's so strange, even like, cause, okay, so there's another example. I don't think I included it in our playlist. I did not. So, one of the people who originally was, uh, had the term trip hop thrown at them was DJ Shadow. Do you know who G- DJ Shadow is, right? right? Yeah. Um, I, I figured that you did. I just wanted to make sure, but like, you know, he's just like instrumental hip hop and samples. Right. Like, right. I don't know how you put all of these things. Cause dummy, so anybody who has never listened to Portishead, uh, they're more like cinematic. They're mm-hmm. very, they are, kind of, they are heavy on the guitars. Um, but like, um, Beth is like a, a very different vocalist from anybody who's on any right. of the Massive Attack albums. Right. Um, yeah, the- it's just different. I mean, they're not. There's too much. There's too much space in the in the quote unquote genre. Mm-hmm. So, but what's nice about it is that means that means a lot of people can like it without having to like. Like, there are people who can like Portishead and not like Massive Attack, sure. and that's not something that would seem so odd. There are people who could like Blue Lines and not like the next album. Like, oh no doubt, oh no doubt, yeah. Anyone who likes dub would like Blue Lines, and then maybe be confused by uh, the next by Protection and not really think it's that good, right? Because I mean, so, they they switch. That's that's a little bit more of. I mean, I don't really consider Blue Lines to be an album that fits in with the rest of what we talk about. Is I know, and that's where I I genuinely like. 
I just don't really necessarily know anymore what it is. Like, that's the crazy part to me is that, like, Massive Attack started this whole concept. And really, again, it would honestly just make more sense to just say that there was, like, a Bristol movement in the 90s. Like, that would make way more sense than even trying to conceptualize it as trip-hop. That's how most people classify it. That's what they said, too. You know, it was the Bristol scene, which was, like, heavily influenced by... Uh, like a collective group of people that went around to the different clubs and just did whatever. Right. You know, it was, it's Bristol club music, like influenced by this group, this group of people who went around and did, and, you know, did stuff at clubs. Uh, what was the name of that group? The wild bunch. Yes. Thank you. I, I was, so, yeah, thank you. You know, they're one of the first sound systems. And so they would just go around and do stuff. So like, it's all influenced by, it's it's somewhat regionally influenced. I mean, it's a regional sure. scene that everything's based off of then. But because in the same way, like Portishead, so their album came out, their first one came out in '94, right? And that was the With first year that it was even coined the term. And so protection actually came out slightly before the term had even been used. And so you know, Massive Attack had now made two albums, and Portishead had released one album. And there wasn't even like a genre created for it. Right. They made it to try and understand what was going on within Bristol because Bristol, they were doing something different that they didn't know how to categorize. Yeah. It's almost just experimental electronica to an extent. It really is. And that, because you know? even Blue Lines would fall into that realm too. Sure. There is some electronics that are going on throughout Blue Lines. It's just right. obviously not as uh, dim as some of the other albums that come no. later. I mean, I can, I don't, I can't, I couldn't categorize it, but I can tell you how to make a quote unquote trip hop song. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the elements are pretty obvious. Down tempo, electronic beats, and then maybe yep. some distorted guitars yeah. at some it's point. Down, it's down tempo hip hop beat. It almost always is a hip hop beat. Sometimes it's kind of a soul type thing. Right. But it's almost always like a down tempo hip hop beat with like some additional percussive stuff inside there because there's more room to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, experimental hip hop. Uh, uh, loops and uh, samples. Mm-hmm. Then you have some type of like heavy fuzz guitar that really is more about texture than it is about melody. Right. Then you have someone who's doing soul singing. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is, if, really if you're Massive Attack, it is almost always Horace Andy. <laughs> it is almost yeah, yeah. always well, goddamn Horace yeah, Andy. Well, you know, you know, speaking of which, uh, I'll get, I'll go ahead and say it now. I was going to save it when we talked about favorite songs. It's not my favorite, sure. but I wanted to bring up a song that, cause they, they are known for having, uh, different people come in and sing on different songs. For sure. Yes. Okay, which is place. different than what Portis had did obviously as well. Cause Portis right. had just has Beth really as their vocalist right. and right. massive attack, you know, so massive attack before you get too far ahead, just so I can kind of clarify massive attack is predominantly three people but has kind of shifted in some yeah. way so the big one is 3d which is del Naja, um, which is really i mean it's really almost just him it, it is really in is. a lot of ways yes because yeah, he's the carrying he's the overarching carrying figure mm-hmm. which i think and daddy g really is the second in command in my mind too because yes. obviously grant marshall is the one who's been involved in almost all of them other than their fourth album you know, like right. he's been involved in pretty much everything. Uh, Andrew Voles, who goes by the name Mushroom, was involved up until Mezzanine. And right. then Tricky just kind of 
comes and goes would i guess yeah, it's comes hard and to... goes. he almost it's funny that they put him in there as a member in a lot of places because he's mm-hmm. more almost he's more almost just like a guest i agree like a like a like a, a reoccurring guest yeah and he has more of a solo career than he is a member of massive attack yeah. like when i think Absolutely. of tricky now i don't really think of tricky as this guy who was in massive attack i think of right. this guy who was making stuff in the bristol scene who also collaborated with massive attack like Right, but anyways, go ahead and do what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to well, override you. I just want to make sure that it was clear who all we were talking about here. Right, the whole scene is collaborative, which yes. is what we know about experimental hip hop and hip hop in general. So for sure, and, and club to the extent of what we what was going on in the '80s. So mm. you know that none of that is surprising. So the the fact that they like to continually collaborate with the artists, you know, mostly singers, uh, because I think I think I mean. It seems the big issue with continual members in Massive Attack is that 3D has a very specific vision sonically. Yes. And no one else feels like they have any room to provide <laughs> anything else. Which, like, and, and that's fair, too, because the other problem is is that he does have a very specific, like, vision, and that vision seems to change often. <laughs> like, yes. even if it's a... So, like, obviously, like, Blue Line's protection mezzanine is kind of like the golden era of massive attack because really right. the Bristol scene was very heavily focused in the nineties. You know, um, it was a case that Portis had had a album that came out in 2008, but that yeah, was third. pretty largely separated from their 1997 album 11 years later. Right. Uh, Tri- Tricky has been relatively, um, you know, active in throughout that time, he's a kind of the anomaly of that scene uh, because he had an album that came out like last year. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I yeah. agree that it definitely kind of feels like he, he has a vision of where it's going and he's the one who guides it. Even if it's going in directions that maybe another member would be like, why are we doing this? Like, I'm not sure right. why we're Which taking well, this turn. That's, that's the nature of the in and out of all of the other members. Right. Which is why it's really just like, it's almost just him. It really is almost just him. I I guess I, I have a hard time. I, I agree with you to a certain degree. I guess I have a hard time saying that because I do think saying it's mostly him does take away from the influence of like, you know, Grant Marshall or even Andrew Voles in the early part of their music. I don't, again, I don't think that like Tricky had a lot of production uh, piece of things, but even like Neil uh, Davidge, is that how you pronounce his last name? Davidge? Yes. Um, he was, you know, he was a big part of the last three albums. So he's, yeah, as a producer, he's had a lot of influence. Right. So like you would almost consider him as much like a member of the group than just about anybody else. That's true. And he, and he doesn't get mentioned really. No. Outside of, you know, actually reading. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) getting into it and like, Oh, Hey, he's, he's involved here. Right. Back to the collaborative situation. It's, uh, I like that they continue to collaborate with different uh, vocalists, which I think is fun, but it typically always, it almost always has a soul situation going on. Right. Which is fine. I like it. Uh, I think it sounds good and it works with the music. So because it soul singing, especially when you like slow it down and draw it out kind of fits in with the textural, like overarching flowy situation that we have sonically with, this genre and with mm. massive attack. So it's kind of interesting, but someone who 
was a guest vocalist who I really thought was interesting and is different than this typical type of singing style you might find is on the last album, uh, Helio, Helio, uh, Heligoland. Yes. Jeez. Uh, the opener, Pray for Rain, because Tunde Adebempe is on. There. I was, I knew I, there was not a world, there was not a world that we live in where you did not mention the lead singer of TV on the radio yeah, being bet. a vocalist on a Mass Attack song. There just wasn't a way. But yeah, we should do. We should I heard it. I was like, well, this is Tunde right here. What's going on? I here? was, it was funny because when I was listening, I also was very aware that it was Tunde. I was like, Tyler's going to like this. Yeah. We're gonna like he, this. Well, he's got such a specific vocal delivery mm. that it's and his voice is very specific. So, but it changes the pace of that album. Yes. I like that album a lot. I think it's really good. I think it's much better than than a hundred hundredth window. I would agree with you for sure. So I th- oh, actually, you know, let's play Pray for Rain real quick, and then let's right. talk about some of those later albums because I think maybe those are the ones that maybe people would talk about the like the least out of any of the work that we kind of listen to. It really is almost more of a TV on the radio song to me than a Massive Attack song. Be- I mean, not just because he's singing on it, but even the instrumentation feels a little bit more up their alley. It did. So that album, I got that vibe a lot, kind yeah. of a TV on the radio feel. But I don't think that's unusual because I think no. TV on the radio is a band that's hard to classify. Mm-hmm. And I think TV on the radio ha- took a lot of sonic inspiration from Massive Attack and the, and the bristol scene i would think that's fair because they use a lot of the similar they use the similar type of beats mm-hmm. they use a similar type of um, looping and they they are big on their loops yep and yeah. uh and sampling although their sampling is not uh it's a little bit different mm-hmm. the sampling is because it's mostly like a, a sound bite sample or like a or one or two note sample right but, um, rather than like actual like full samples that they utilize right. throughout a song or something like that right and then the guitar work is different a little more rocky you know mm-hmm. it's a little more prevalent and sometimes more uh melody driven but it's still right. it's still there and the only thing that really differs a lot um, in terms of being able to maybe throw TV on the radio into trip hop is is the vocalization, which is dramatically different because it's more yeah. heavily based off of kind of like a chant or um, mm-hmm. a spoken word type of delivery. But I still don't think that that's really that far off from what Massive Attack does anyway. No, it's not super again, far like, off. Because again, really, like if you think about, so like you know, I'll actually go ahead. So you know, we've talked about how obviously. A lot of the vocals are very soul based, but so the biggest, most popular song from Massive Attack, pretty much like you know, with a, a pretty hard bullet, is uh, "Teardrop" because that song was the theme song for the show House, uh, and understandably, it's a very, very, very good song. But I have found that I actually have been listening to the song before it more. Was it is it Rising Sun? Yes, Rising Sun. I was making sure I was pronouncing it right, but it looks weird because it's combined together. Anyways, Mm -hmm. so Rising Sun I've been listening to a lot more this week because it kind of exhibits a little bit more of the the pairing between 
the the actual like members of Massive Attack vocalizing, which does happen on albums, but they do more of a back and forth actual hip hop style of like a spoken word kind right. of like performance, which I like when they do that because like not that I don't love the soul vocals, but I like when it comes in because it surprises me. I'm like, how is this fitting in with everything else? But it's actually working. Like, I don't know how you're doing this, you know? That type of delivery is a lot more prevalent on uh, the debut. Yes. Which is mo- almost entirely that type of stuff. Blue Lines is full of that kind of thing. Yeah. And then really the, the, the female the female vocals and like the soulful type stuff are more backing or just like to add embellishment. Right. Unfinished you know. Sympathy is really the big one on that album that has a big, you know, like soul vocal kind of performance to it. And it's the one that probably landed the most from that whole album, which is probably why they went more in that direction. But it's hard to say right. for sure. But I'll play a little bit of Rising Sun just to show what like other parts of their music sound like. Because again, like we could play like 17 songs. It's probably all going to sound different when it comes down to it. It was never clearer in my era, so you lick a shine on your forehead, so. Check it by the signs in the corridor Yeah, I'm my way to the club maze We will struggle through the tough days yeah, Again, like, I don't think that uh, Del Naja 3D is, like, the most interesting vocalist obviously his production is top notch if it if it was a case that like they weren't top notch producers and mixers and all that they wouldn't be making so many like movie soundtracks you know like they score movies like they know what they're doing like musically but like i do like when they come in with something a little bit different vocally because again like they do so many things different that sometimes my head spins and i like that you know like i don't know what's coming next well, it definitely breaks up a little bit because these albums, although they're like, for instance, picking a favorite song is a difficult thing to do. Yes. I don't even say that th- Rising Sun is my favorite. It's just the one that I probably listened to the most this week. Probably. Oh, I'm just saying in general, like the, yes. the action of having to do that is not easy because right. these, like each song, they're all very, it's all very flowy. It's all kind of atmospheric to right. an extent. And <clears throat> each song kind of goes they do a different they do play with song structure a lot i think which is interesting because some songs don't have choruses Mm -hmm. sometimes the chorus is just or even a segment that would be the center is replaced with some type of a like flowing growing instrumental Mm -hmm. and sometimes like in the case of uh, pray for rain what that we listen to Mm -hmm. it has three parts the first part and the third part are mimic of each other and then the middle is just a totally different part where the the um you know the musical aspect and the vocal aspect change mm-hmm. and just become repetitive and they just do that for the middle of the song and then they go back into what would be a verse right so it's like there's only in a way two verses right and might be considered a chorus but it's not really a hook so what it, you know what i mean it's almost like their hooks are instrumental rather than vocal which is not what you usually expect like you know to go back to one of their popular songs like unfinished sympathy is more of a hook based on like a sample that they use and that they loop rather than the actual like vocal portion of the song kind of the same really for like because teardrop is really memorable because of the tone that they use in the song then it really is what's being said or how you know the chorus or the verse or whatever 
is performed, you remember more the instrumentation because really Massive Attack is more heavily focused on the instrumentation, which is why they bring in so many like guest vocalists because the guest vocalists, not that those aren't still like super important pieces of it, but they aren't as worried about what the vocals are or they would have a kind of precise vocalist who always holds these songs together. They like to go in different directions and they have different vocalists that they want to perform for them. Tricky is a good example of that too, because the whole reason he made his debut solo album, uh, Maxim Quay, is because he wanted a female vocalist to sing songs that he wrote. He thought that they would sound different performed by somebody else. So like, you know, they were more writers than they were necessarily performers vocally. Right. And I don't think, I mean, I don't personally think that Massive Attack is a hooky music. No. I don't really think there are. I don't, I'm not. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't hardly even say there are hooks in here. Really, it's right. Each song, each each track is like an ever growing, ever changing thing from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You know, and and in between lyrical portions, they often like for instance, uh, teardrops is is a good example because you have the beginning musical segment which people enjoy. Then you have the lyrical portion, and then when the lyrical portion ends, they take the beginning musical segment and they begin to change it and play with it uh-huh and it becomes different you know? and even and like kind of it like, still is like looped in but they add more instrumentals while the vocals are happening like they add well, in more they piano more, and they like they yeah go ahead well they warp and change some of the timing of things mm-hmm. and like the tonality of things you know they take what you knew what what you were familiar with what you were looking to come back to after the vocal portion and they change it and make the track a growing like living thing to an extent right and, it, and by it, doing so you know it's like there's no definitive hook it's like everything is you look for the change or you look for what happens next or you look for what this grows or turns into you know and that's really what that's like the whole thing i mean the whole right like the entirety of the song is an experience sure and you're I waiting to the end to see what they do at the end but in the meantime you're waiting to see what they do at every moment in right. a way well, it's you know, it's so funny because it like some of it is it's almost like a hook, but again, like you said, like they change it. So like it's like a repeating motif that you like you recognize, but now that it's changed, it feels familiar, but isn't quite exactly the same. So it's right. more fresh when it comes back because it's inherently a different sound at that point in time, but at the same time, it still features elements of something you've heard so it's almost like it's there it feels familiar like i said but it's still different enough that you stay interested rather than just saying oh hey i know this so it feels good you know Mm -hmm. so but i was gonna say too because you mentioned so heligoland you said was you think was better than a hundredth window i would agree with that because i think that a hundredth window is probably the least massive attacky album I think it has a lot mm-hmm. to do with the fact that it really was just Del Naja and then Davinid. I keep having a hard Dave, time. Davidge. 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 Or Davidge. Yeah. Neil. They were really the ones who were producing 100th Window more than really anybody else. And honestly, like I feel like it was just kind of long-winded in a lot of places. The songs are just really, really long. I, don't, I feel like they're meandering. They're not – like they do – shift in some ways but not as in interesting ways they're not they're just not doing as much to change and so they end up feeling like the same loop over and over and over again rather than a 
you know, building, uh, becoming more interesting loop that you're listening to. It just kind of sits there. And I don't think right. that Heligoland does the same thing. Yeah, it's just not. I don't. I kind of don't understand when I when you look at some of the information about hundredth window. It gets kind of weird as to why it just didn't land. Right. Because it does have some writing credits with Daddy G. Mm-hmm. You know, a few songs in there. They uh, had Sinead O'Connor sing for some of it, which is yeah. interesting. Indeed. Um, this is around the point where. Oh, go ahead. No, you you got it. They collaborated with Most Deaf. Uh huh. Or a track on there, you know. So they've got like you know, it's just weird because some of the things happening in there seem kind of interesting, right? But it well, just never pans out really to much of anything. And this is so the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the hundredth window on uh, period of time was this was when he started really Del, Del Naja, but they started collaborating with a very in particular uh, UK based musician that totally makes sense that they would want to work with being, of course, you know, our, our friend from the gorillas and mm-hmm. uh, blur because like, you know, they're from the same area. So it totally mm-hmm. makes sense that Albarn would like want to work with them. Uh, especially because like his first gorillas album was obviously influenced by trip hop. That's yeah. like, it kind of is classified in that way. Yes, Even that's later true. Blur was. I mean, Think Tank is it, it clearly is moving in that direction. Very much so, and that's. I mean, that's so, pretty close to the window when these other albums were coming out. Right. We've nailed three of the four things that I wrote down that it sounds like. <laughs> what were the which three? Is, which is Blur and Gorillas. Yes. Those are two of them. TV yeah. on the radio sounds like it. Yeah. And then actually, once they get into like mezzanine, and even even some of the later stuff. They really, there's really like some reminiscent aspects of Radiohead in there. Yes, there are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't, the, it's tough because, um, the reminiscence that you're hearing in my head is that it starts kind of coming up in the mezzanine area of mm-hmm. time, which is before Kid A when they really start taking on that sound. So really it was more that the UK at that point in time was starting to embrace a more darker electronic sound, which is why a kid a would make sense to come out around the same time. You don't put them together in your head because it feels somewhat different, but really kid a is very heavy on those kind of dim electronics that give you kind of the same type of feeling as a mezzanine. Yeah, definitely. They, I mean, Radiohead chooses to, Radiohead chooses to take what Massive Attack is and integrate it into their sound. Yes. And then you also get in Kid A more instrumentation from more traditional instruments, wind bass instruments as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so it 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 builds, it pulls it into their sound and it builds and they change this, but it is just very reminiscent of like where they shifted to in that period. Right, and really, I mean, Hundredth Window. And Heligoland have also elements of like, you know, that same area of, you know, King of Limbs or like, you know, really a lot of their music in that 2000s range of time, you know. Yeah, In Rainbows is definitely uh so. Mm -hmm. More than King of Limbs. We all know that album sucks. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just saying like in that range of time up up to really King of Limbs is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, But no, I would agree that like these are all definitely places 
But the funny thing is, too, like I said, is that, you know, we all kind of categorize this in a way where it all comes together. But then again, if we were to go back to the Portishead conversation, they don't even really use a lot of those same elements. Like, it would be worthwhile, honestly, for us to play a Portishead song so that you can see that, like, there are definitely portions of Portishead that somehow fell into this quote-unquote Bristol scene. And yes, it was inspired because it came after what Massive Attack were doing. But it is so wholly different that I don't understand how they're both considered trip hop. It it, it confounds me. It makes no sense to me at all. What was the song that you had off of Dummy that maybe you really liked? It's Glory Box. I figured it would be Glory Box. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. But it's also a great example for what you want to prove because it, it, Mm -hmm. it adds in lots of like rock and blues guitar stuff that mm-hmm. fits super well into what Portis, uh, Portis is doing on this album. Mm-hmm. So it, and it adds in a couple of like other things that make it stand out from kind of where massive attack is, but it clearly still fits into the realm of what's going on. funny though too about glory box is that really glory box is a lot different from a lot of dummy as well i know is, it really it, is it's the way that i kind of looked at it is that uh glory box blends well into their second self-titled album yeah it's a lot louder it's a lot louder mm-hmm. guitars fuzzier and heavier and more upfront. you know she's using this kind of odd playful voice too that almost feels mm-hmm. like witchy like there's something really like sinister about the way that she's vocalizing whereas on the rest of dummy it's more of this kind of graceful cinematic way of performing right um well it sticks closer to kind of like the soulful mm-hmm. you know like i'm you're more drawn out lyrical stuff and it really fits in the, it fits a lot more into the soul singing type aspect of it. Yeah. So, which has influenced a lot of what, of what we would call pop music today, which is really, honestly, you know, when you think about, it's kind of funny to think about what, when we think about the progression of pop music into what mm. we have basically late aughts into the teens. And now it's a lot more closely related to this than hip hop. Yes. You know, it's almost just like a dumbed down version of this stuff. Yeah. Because Which a lot of what wild. pop music has become is very electronic based. Yeah, and, and loop and sample based. Uh-huh. And the, but the singing, you know, you people singer, so they people sing like this in pop music, kind of, you know, more hooky, undoubtedly, less oh, cinematic sure. and more hooky for sure. But it shares a lot of a lot of interesting connections between the two. Right. So. Well, I mean, we're certainly far away from the original concept of a pop being, you know, like a Madonna or a Michael Jackson, oh, you know, yeah. like obviously oh, yeah. not- that pop is very different, but we have gone a lot more in this kind of maximalist kind of form of like an art pop is becoming more of what just pop is. Um, it's kind of odd to see that pop is shifting in that direction where a lot of the traditional pop artists are going a lot more into that hyper pop realm of sound and people are like following along with it. But this really is like massive attack is very maximalist. There's not, even if it feels 
sometimes kind of minimalistic. There is so much going on within a song. If you don't it's notice that layered. there's so much going on, it, it's it's complicated. It's a complicated yeah. whole process here. Did you did you like the Tricky album as well? I we didn't get super deep mm-hmm. into Tricky's music, but even Max and Quay has a different sound to it too. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I it it's, it holds a little closer to hip hop. Yeah. Than maybe some of the other stuff that's going on. Well, he, he I, covers I Public Enemy on it, but it's like a right. rock cover. Yep. It's weird. It's it's interesting. So that that actually makes me think of one of the things that I've, especially on the early Massive Attack and on Dummy, is how when you just like sit back and think about it in terms of when these releases came out, mm-hmm. it's so easy to hear early hip hop influence. Oh yeah. In here. The beats are just so much early hip hop in a way that I, I mean, it's, I love it. I really like early hip hop beats because sure. They're a little closer to what a drum kit is like as I've talked about this before. Yeah. It's the, know? it's the, the boom way that they, style. Right. Yeah. The original, like the, you know, the old hip hop style and mm-hmm. the beats are so crisp in a lot of the stuff that they do. So it's just fun. It's just interesting to see how close it is to some of that. Sure. I mean, it makes sense because that's a deviation from dance music, from the kind of stuff that you would normally like. All of this is a deviation. It started basically with people who were in dance music, but it's such a deviation from dance music. I bet you could, because of what you just said, I I bet you could do it. What do you think is another 90s based artist that maybe I listened to a little bit this week in preparation for this episode? Oh, I don't know. Think think in the, the dance realm that you're talking about here. Let's see. If you don't know, that's okay. They're not necessarily, they're not like the same. They're sure for sure. Not the same style, but they were obviously influencing a lot of things under the surface in the same yeah, way. I that I think. I'm not sure what, I mean, Aphex twin. Uh, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I was thinking that about sense. that too, where I was, I was thinking about how there are a lot of elements of like dance music and really, so, you know, he, he came up in that eighties to nineties time when dance music wasn't really something that people listened to in like a popular way. Right. But he used it in kind of a more, you know, he obviously was kind of the inventor of a, you know, intelligent dance music, not even the inventor, but I guess the popular, the, 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 you know, the poster boy of it, if you will. Right. Um, but it, you know, it makes sense that these are all things that are happening kind of in that early nineties time when a lot of these types of music, that were popular in the eighties, like dance music and hip hop and so on and so forth are becoming a little bit more complex because they've been around long enough that we're finding ways to kind of turn them on their head in the same way that like DJ shadows, you know, debut album is it's just all samples. He's just taking a bunch of samples of old hip hop like beats and old soul beats and a bunch of old records. And he's spinning them in a different way in the same way that like an Aphex one would take some like, kind of a dance style electronic sound, but then make it a little bit more quote unquote intelligent. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, it's all about in any genre or any, any popular music or music that's like around a lot other than just generic pop. Like if you have dance or if you have soul or if you have electronic, I mean, there's always someone who's going to take it and mesh it with something else and create something new and different and interesting or play on it or take, you know, the standardized, whatever, that people are finding to be kind of boring, you know, and shake it up. And that's always where like, it's on the fringe to begin with. And it's always where the interesting stuff lies. Yeah, I would agree. I, 
I think one of the questions that I that I think is worth talking about too, because I I'd like your perspective, and I think I do know the answer, and I think I know where you'll go, but I want to hear it come from you. Why do you think it is that massive attack isn't really talked about in the same way as some of the other more influential groups? Same for Portis Head too. Just really this whole era of music. Why do we not talk about it as a more kind of important and crucial part of music history at this point in time? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a mixture of things. The commercial success in the U.S. was lower than in the U.K. Yes. So we have that. We do know that if you don't have commercial success here, then what we understand as like influential or big at the time or, or whatever music that's talked about from a bygone era, it's uh, that you don't – it just doesn't get talked about really because if, you don't, if you're not commercially successful here – then it's like it almost isn't in the world of music when we talk about the world of music. So that's a portion of it. Um, and I, it was overshadowed by the grunge and post-grunge yes. and the popularity of those noises of people trying to continue that popularity on radio. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also got to do a little bit with... Uh, it's got to do with like the emergence of, of 90s alternative that doesn't sound like this that took over pop i think a little bit as well i mean we had we talked about really the like the, the middle to the yeah, yeah no, the yeah, mid to late right, 90s right. one hit wonder period that yeah. really uh, or is pretty good music that but it it doesn't like this would never fit into that no you know and no. really in terms of u.s music and popularity and where people moved because the underground shifts right i mean and the underground shift shifted from uh grunge to really stuff like post-hardcore sure honestly sure and stuff like even the beginnings of indie like people who are into we had our own like regional things going on in the mid 90s with like super chunk and the people in uh north carolina and stuff like like you know mm -hmm. we had our own little thing happening that was outside of this world and we just didn't plus i don't think we have i mean it's different in europe because the the dance scene was was different as well yeah like these dance clubs were more popular in Europe and it was cities are closer together and there's more of those in the city. So, you know, so you can kind of get around this stuff and experience some of the beginnings of this stuff a lot more, but it also just doesn't contain as many pop elements for the most part. I mean, I think that mezzanine begins to really contain some pop elements that are like, that's why it's most accessible album of theirs for sure really is because it has more pop elements and it's totally fine because it works really well within what they're trying to do. But it just like, there wasn't something like that to begin with. I really think there's like a, a handful of different factors. And a lot of it is about what we were focusing on at that time that really made it to where people didn't know this stuff a lot. I mean, I've seen mezzanine all over the place. Yes. And that's the crazy and, part to me is that like, you see the cover people right. are familiar with it. But, like, the only song no that people is. know is just the Teardrop song, and they don't even know who Massive Attack is, well, yeah, what that song that. is. They've just probably seen the cover and said, I've seen that cover before, but they don't know a song that's on it. I was that way for a long time. Well, me too, but I never – I also – I mean, this is the same thing with Portishead. I didn't know what it was. And right. looking at the cover of Mezzanine, I thought it was, like, metal. That's fair because it's got that you big know what old I mean? bug. Like, or, like a, like, a new metal type thing. Yeah, no, that's it, it fair. It looks that way. It does. So have a new you have to like think about the fact that 
and actually, I mean, if you look at the covers of these albums, mm. I'll tell you what, they all like remind me of something a little bit different, but none of them t- say this is what it's going to sound like. No, because like, like the cover Blue of Lines, Dummy almost, like, I don't even know how hmm. to conceptualize the cover of Dummy. It is something else entirely, but I just do not know what it is. Right. It's almost like goth, I mean, like a weird, yeah, like almost like, like a that. goth rock album. Right, who knows what it could be, or even like a like Cure. Yeah, you know that's what I was kind of thinking was the goth like mm-hmm. Cure kind of style. Yep. Even like Blue in like lines. Blue Lines, yeah, I was just gonna say Blue Lines. Yep. I have no idea what really that kind of comes off as either. It the makes me think like, of Faith No More for some reason. Interesting. I would not have. Which that, you know, Faith it, No like, More is like '80s electro metal almost. I don't know how to describe it because yeah. it's got kind of some of the tones are kind of they're all guitar based, but they're kind of electronicy really crisp sounding i don't know mm-hmm. but they don't like you can't i don't think you can look at it and be like yeah this is what it is right. you know so forever i saw mezzanine sitting all over the place and i was like this is it i know that i need to listen to this and i'm going to i should probably buy it but i don't know what it is you know and i never and i never people weren't talking about it you know what i mean i just saw it a lot right so well i from guess my experience it's like you know i don't know yeah, I guess for me, like, because I had listened to Dummy, I had listened to Mezzanine um, previously when I was doing the kind of uh, album a day challenge I did a couple years ago, and they didn't really stick then, but, like, lately, really since a little bit before the beginning of the year, I was thinking about Massive Attack more, because I kind of realized, like, there probably is something more to them that I'm just not quite getting, and the more that I've spent time with it, the more I want to keep spending time with it, because I do think that there's a lot of interesting elements that are going on in the Portishead albums, in the Massive Attack albums, in that Tricky album, and probably more of them. I didn't get to listen to a whole lot of other Tricky, like, music. Um, But, you know, like, there's a lot that is going on within this realm of music. And really, I think I just knew, I don't get it. You know, like, and I don't think it's easy to get. I don't think I still totally get it. I think it takes time. I think it takes time or it takes not paying attention. Yeah, because I think that it's really easy to get to like just put on and sit there and just like listen to it without focusing too much on it. I think that they, especially Blue Lines and Dummy, are that way where it would very they're very easy to be kind of like a lounge music that just sits in the background. But the more that you listen closely to it, the more you notice there's more going on. Like it really does right. suit the mood for both like realms very well. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. What what why do you think it didn't people don't talk about it? What's your what's your thought on that? I think it's just the commercial end of it. Like, you know, yeah. cuz what you were saying earlier, like they're not hooky, there's not really hits here, you know, and I think that that drives music in a lot of ways. You know, like the reason that grunge blew up at all is because they added more hooks to it. Like the entire album of Nevermind is just hook after hook, chorus after chorus. It's catchy. It's very very catchy. Yes, there's some heavy grunge elements to it yes sometimes cobain will scream on a song but very often it is pretty well structured there's not really a structure to a trip hop or just a massive attack in general and i think when we don't have artists who do have that kind of structure it's hard for us to even hold them in a realm uh, of them being on such a high pedestal like when you think about it who is an artist that's like one of the top dogs of music who doesn't have a pretty clear structure to their music. You know what I mean? 
Well, people like the predictability. Yes. That's what sells is like every time I hear it, it's I got the same thing. I don't have to pick out different things. I know that part that's coming up that I'm going to sing to or that yeah. I don't like. I think that's you know, just but, honestly neurological. I think that your brain just yeah. likes things that are familiar. And the more easy it is to understand it, the easier it is for it to become familiar. You know, it's. Yeah, I think so. So I also I, think that cinematic music as a whole, and I think your brother's a great example, Jared. Yeah. The other host. Uh, people just don't. They don't go to like people don't like it that much. That's why they why not is rock not that popular by comparison. Who? Post rock. Yeah, no, I agree. Which is <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah. it's. I mean, people just don't like the cinematic thing as much. It's just because it's difficult. I think it's because it, there's no clear hits when you do it. Uh huh. It's kind of difficult to play because you don't know if everyone's gonna like it. Right. Uh, yeah, it, you can't really it, like. I couldn't just like. I'm on a car ride with a friend. Like, hey, you should really check out this song. You know, "Safe from Harm" from Massive Attack. Like, be like, I don't know about this. You know, like it would. It is definitely not a you know throw on a mixtape for your friend kind of music. It's kind of like a, you know, this is something I'm gonna have to sit you down and you're gonna have to really yeah you're gonna have to really take this in for a minute. I, like, how I think do you, it also like to go back to like you said post rock like you know because we're gonna the next one we're covering which we'll get there is Godspeed You Black Emperor. Yep. Like you don't sit somebody down and say, "Hey, you want to listen to you know?" Just kidding. Like, like if you right. sit down for that, like it's like, "Hey, you got to be here for like an hour and a half, and you will not hear a word for about fifty minutes." And when you do hear a word, it's just like a vocal snippet. So just yeah, buckle down buckle down you know I, I also do i also think that this type of music the music and the more cinematic music and even post-rock is it, it's more geared towards listening to an album it's very yes. difficult to just listen to one song i mean you can't it's hard yeah. to just choose a thing when you listen to the song right you and know, i and i think that we're not tailored to be that way anymore obviously the album sold because you bought the album now you can just pull up a song listen to it and then move on it right. is hard to you know I, i'm I'm probably going to have a hard time coming back to Massive Attack all the time after this week uh, because I'm probably not going to be able to pick out the songs that I want to kind of return to. I would have to basically do what I've done the last couple weeks, which is keep listening to it over and over yep. again. Yep. Like, and that, you know, what's cool though to me is that like listening to Massive Attack has led me down a lot of different uh, rabbit holes to know where I want to go next. So, like, but I, I'm almost like overwhelmed because, like, I want to go towards Bjork again because mm -hmm. Tricky was in a relationship with Bjork. And so some of that uh, sound did kind of weasel its way into her music as well. Um, so I want to re-listen to some of her music to see how it was influenced by it. I've been wanting to now re-listen to Radiohead for the same reason that you brought it up because that yep. music does fall in that same realm. I wanted to listen to Aphex Twin and I wanted to listen to you know DJ Shadow because I knew that they – we're also kind of within that same, you know, sonic realm. So like it's pushing me in different directions that I would like to go. But again, like I have to kind of dig in to get to them. I can't just be like, oh, hey, this reminds me of this one song that I want to listen to. I'm going to put it on and then move on for the rest of my day. Yeah, it's just not it's not something that's uh, consumable in that way. No, you know, so. All right, let's get on to some of the fun bits. Why don't we do Please. that? Please. Yeah, let's do that. We we got, right. we got enough time for some fun bits. Fun bit number one. Yeah. Massive Attack has a, the band uh, has a bit of a cameo uh, mention, not physically, 
in high fidelity. Do they really? Yeah, just a little bit. So, you know, part of the high fidelity movie is they they do these lists, these top five of various things. Uh-huh. And one of the lists they do, it's maybe about halfway through the movie, is a uh, top five side one track ones. Okay. And so John Cusack's character is doing his and he does kind of some uh, what they're what the the group of guys there's four of them who are sitting around doing this uh, are claiming are easy or safe picks and then his last pick is from a massive attack album which is it's an album that's questionable as to whether you can call it a massive attack album although it appears a lot of people are doing so it's from No Protection which is a dub remix uh-huh. of Protection by yeah. Mad Professor and it's uh, this first song, Radiation Ruling the Nation. That's what he chooses, which is a dub remix of Protection. Huh. So that is, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, large leap to go down, like to, to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to the dub remix of this album right. that wasn't even their really popular album. Like, okay, you're, I'm, I, I you're doing feeling... this on purpose. I know you're doing this on purpose. Right. Well, I I'm, I'm would guess to say that, that spe- these specific picks were not in the... Because it was a book, and then they, it was adapted for film. Yeah. So I would guess that these specific picks were not what he picked in the book. At least this one maybe wasn't. But when they made the film, it came out in 2000, you know, they wanted them to th- choose something kind of obscure that would... Because they're supposed to be kind of music snobs and something that they think a music snob would, would choose. So uh-huh. hey, they went to Massive Attack, which is a pretty good place to go to. Yeah. I would say and an so. interesting place and a place that most people probably wouldn't know. So I wonder right. how many people maybe actually checked out that song afterwards. I, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? My, my personal favorite, um, my personal favorite fun bit about um, Massive Attack is. What's that? So mine is definitely uh, 3D Del Naja's um, potential secret persona, if you will. Did you, did you get into that? Are you talking about it with regards to his street art? Yes, I am talking sure. about in regards to his street I, art. I heard it. I heard that it's. I heard that we can. It's potentially debugged. I. I. That is also what I heard because some people have. So to to get into it, uh, he, Del Naja does street art. You know, he does stencils, and you can see like a, you can see the graffiti style stuff even within yeah. like the Hel- Helgo. Uh, ugh, their last album. Um, you can see that that's influenced by that, which I know. <laughs> um, but people believe there's a possibility that he could be Banksy. Yeah. Which I think which, is yeah. very funny. Yeah. I think it's funny too. There's a list of, I, when I was looking up a little bit about it, there's a list of, you know, a handful of different people that people are considering could be Banksy. So, and he's on there. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, it makes sense if he's so like into the art scene. But again, I've heard people who have been like, yeah, like he was on tour when Banksy did this thing. And so like physically he could not be Banksy. Maybe, maybe not. I don't but know. Maybe Banksy like, maybe, is multiple maybe people. The person, well, maybe the person who carried out that begs a question of is the artist, the person who, who has the idea and does the prep work in street art or the actual person who sprays it. Right. That's true. Cause maybe, Maybe he was Banksy and he just got his buddy while he was on tour or whatever to go do the spraying, but he made all the stencils and told him what colors to do and everything. Or or Banksy is some kind of like a weird collective, a street art collective and not just one individual. I I think it it makes some sense to think that maybe it's not all just, you know, one guy doing everything. Maybe it is people being Banksy. I also wonder if. 
if I were Banksy yes. and I'm doing street art, right? Would it be? And my part of the point of Banksy is like we don't know who he is, so he's secretive. Would it be beneficial to me or not beneficial to me to all to like be a large person in the world of music, where a lot of people are paying attention to me? Would that draw attention away from me being? Like people wouldn't think that I'm Banksy because look at all this spotlight on me. I'm a music dude. Right. Or would it be less beneficial? Cause then people are like, eh, this guy, maybe he's Banksy and a lot of more people have paid attention to you. I would think that it's less beneficial because if nobody knows who you are, no one's ever going to suspect you, you know, like sure. if it's a case that you're Del Naja, who is famous and also known for his art, of course you would make the connection that maybe he's Banksy because they are both famous names who do the same thing. If Del Naja or Banksy were not a popular name, nobody would know to make the connection. True. I would think. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. Well, I'm saying maybe you're trying to throw off the scent by being this, by being the main dude in massive attack. Cause you would never expect. Never think about it. Mm-hmm. You got, so that you got another fun my, bit? my last Banksy related question. Yes, go for it. Do you think we're ever going to find out who it is? No, no, not even like, not even near death. I mean, we still, we still haven't even confirmed that Ted Cruz is a Zodiac killer. You know, <laughs> like I did... that. That's confirmed. I heard that Cancun can confirm it <laughs> for about for about twelve hours. It's about time they finally figured out. Hey, yo, I'm pretty sure that you had a serial killer you sent over. I think you might want him back. Yeah, I think you guys might want to buy. Remember, you know, I think don't be trying to do that stuff to us, U.S. Send serial killers to well, my, our resort. My cities. daughter made me do it. Um, yeah. Uh-huh, but yeah, uh-huh. I don't, I don't know, I don't That's know. That's what he said about all those people he killed in the valley. <laughs> my, my daughter made me do it. My daughter made me. I was trying to be a good dad. I gotta kill all these people for my daughter. Um, yeah, I don't know because there are definitely examples of like you know. Because I think that obviously the reason we don't know who Banksy is because it was Banksy doesn't want us to know who it is, you know. And so I don't know True. why you would get to like the end of your life, you're like I think it's time to finally reveal myself. Like maybe that's just what you always wanted is for no one to ever know who you are. Yeah, I don't know well, it's inspiring to think that anyone could be Banksy. I guess. Yeah, I and would is agree. That more, is that more important to you than eventually being like, yeah, I'm Banksy? Or even you have to determine what's more important and why you chose yeah. to be secretive to begin with. Right. I also like. I think that Banksy is also an inspirational character because they're an example of why the celebrity culture isn't necessary for us to appreciate something. Like we sure. tried to almost create a celebrity around it, but there's no personality. There's no. There, all we have is a moniker and the art, and we appreciate the art, which means that we like art regardless of who makes it. So if we don't know who right. makes it, we still like it. We might try and understand who makes it, but it's not necessary to enjoy the art. So I, I like Banksy for that reason, that you can have appreciated and enjoyed art without even people knowing who's doing it. Sure. Name an anonymous musician who we can appreciate in such a manner. I don't know if I have an answer for, I mean, cause I, was it a case cause to go back to even the massive attack was Damon Albarn always known to be the one behind gorillas or was there a period of time where people were like, it's a cartoon. I don't know who's doing it. I was wondering that as well. And I don't remember. We, I'm sure we found out when we did the episode. Yeah. I'm just not remembering right now. 
I don't know. Is there an example that you have in your mind? Well, people didn't know who MF Doom is. That's true. That is a pretty good one. I, and we still don't really, I mean, you know, we kind of know. Um, we don't really know. I, him, I know. just thought of someone not long ago. Uh, well, Slipknot's kind of a good example. Uh, to a certain degree, we don't know all of them, but now we know who Corey Taylor is. He takes his mask yeah. off all the freaking time. And um, Daft Punk is kind of an okay example. Okay, I have no idea who they are. Danger just... Mouse, up until he did that uh, masterclass with that YouTube keeps wanting me to watch. Oh, yeah. Was a decent example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Dead Mouse, I'm sorry. Not Danger Mouse, Dead Mouse. Different things. I, I saw one not long ago, and I cannot. Re- oh, Buckethead. Oh yeah, Buckethead. That's probably the best one, really. He really, I think Buckethead is your one. That's your guy. I think it's I have Buckethead's no clue who Buckethead is. Buckethead's the guy. Yep. That's right. I've got one last fun thing. Is it the DNA? I'm sure you will think is kind of fun too. Is it the DNA? It's the DNA. Yeah. Isn't that oh, wild? It's so cool. It's so, so cool. Go for it. I don't understand it. When I, I read it why. initially, I had to look up multiple I had to look at a pitchfork to uh-huh. find them talking about it because I was like, what are you talking about? They didn't do what you're telling me they did. Yeah. Because that doesn't make sense. No. But in, in April of 2019, in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of Mezzanine, uh, Massive Attack, mostly Del Nausea, found out. I don't know what they did. They went somewhere. I guess it's a it, it's a science that already existed. Right. It's, it's, it's how it sounds. But they encoded the entirety of the album into DNA. Synthetic DNA. Yeah. Yep. And it's all encoded into DNA over the course of like multiple, all of the different tracking in it is broken up into multiple different segments of a few DNA, like strands of DNA. So that's the first thing that I don't even know. Like I have no clue. There's no way. Do it, there is no wild. way. In the same way, it's not to, not wild. to show us where we're at, but like, like, when people are confused about like the vaccine and it's like, oh yeah, you recode your thing with this and that, nobody really knows unless they're actual scientists. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, I promise you, Del Naja has no clue, no clue. No, he, he got someone know. else to he do it. He just knew that you could do it. Yeah. And, that was, and what he also knew is, so what they, I guess we have to, I've got to continue as to what they did with this DNA. What he did with this DNA is then take the DNA and put it into uh-huh. matte black spray paint. Uh-huh. Put and then they they produced cans full of this spray paint containing the DNA encoded with the entirety of mezzanine to a point to where each can had approximately one million copies of the album. Inside. Right. And Del Naja Del Naja said it's a creative way to store your back catalog. But when you say that, yeah. it implies to me that when you store it, you can then pull it back out. Yeah, but I so don't that's know. That's my like, question. When I spray it, it's not like well. teardrop starts playing as I'm spraying the can. <laughs> like, yeah, that's my question. Is what? What do does you the do? DNA it's do? Encoded, and then what? How did? Right. What do you do with it? If I, I mean, spray it on not... something, does the DNA die, or does the album become a part of what I've sprayed on? Well, no, it's not even like. So that's interesting too. Like when it dries, is the DNA still there? That's like, I'm, I'm assuming the DNA has nothing to do with the liquid nature of it. When it dries, the DNA is there, and that's right. that. Right. So, but I mean, when you when I encode digital music with some type of a formatting to be stored on a specific device and played by a specific device, something is doing the reading. Right. So I don't know what happens here, but and how would you even like 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 okay? So let's say that there are a million copies of the album within a can, 
right? Yeah. How on earth would you be able to piece apart the actual album when you have millions of copies of the album inside of it, which means you have millions of copies know. of each song? How would you be able to decode the actual album, be able to make it make sense? Well, it seems like each segment of tracking was put onto different portions of the DNA. And so because of that, you could locate the specific portions that contain the different parts. Mm -hmm. you, you must have like a roadmap, right? Of these are the right. portions of DNA you need. This is what data is contained on them. And you need collect one of each of these or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, so you'd have to like take a sample of it, find all of that stuff in it, which leads me to say one thing like, okay, so not only are there a million copies in each can, right? When you spray it, like a bunch of copies are gone. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I mean, it would have to be thousands of copies coming out. Thousands of copies. Once I take One a sample of paint. Yeah. Once I take a sample of paint that you've sprayed and like take it to analyze it to remove the copy, I have to like destroy all the DNA that's not the pieces I need. That's true. To make one copy. So how wasteful is it? Yeah. How many copies do you waste to de-encode one copy it certainly is a creative way to store your back catalog <laughs> right so they should really say contains approximately one million copies of the album however usable copies is one copy per spray based off of how, how heavy of a thumb you have, <laughs> uh, finger you have and how like, long does it take to actually encode well here's yeah. the thing i'd love to be the scientist finger? who says all right, now I'm going to find a way to decode mezzanine from inside this can. I also love the idea that we reach the Mad Max apocalypse wasteland and all music is somehow destroyed and all that we have left. It's it's like the, the Book of Eli where all we yeah. have left is this mezzanine can of DNA yeah, and they're can. walking through the desert trying to figure out how to decode this spray can of music. I mean, I would think it must be super good for bartering. I would think know? so. Because what, like, what do you got to trade? I've got a million copies of Mezzanine. Well, a million copies. I do only have one copy, and you have many, many more, and they're in liquid. If a form, copy is so. $10, that's $10 million. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. And it's, I think it's worth more than $10. I think you probably toss like 25 bucks for a copy probably. of Mezzanine. Unless when you're I buying Googled it on this, CD well, or it's vinyl. About what a digital, it's about what a digital copy costs. Oh, that's so. true. That's true. We are talking so. digital. That's a good point. When I Googled this, I saw a picture of a can, or maybe it was on. I don't remember. I saw a picture of the can. Yes. And someone had sprayed it. And I said, how, who's someone got had the ball? sprayed balls? the can? Yeah, how dare you spray it? Oh my God, I mean, you're there's right. there's more than one can. Yeah, there is a spray on it. No. Yeah. There's multiple cans. There's not just one can. I'm just wondering if maybe this is like a test can and they just made sure it came out? I don't know. There's a bunch of, there's multiple cans. I don't remember right. how many cans there are, but there's more than one. Yeah. And some people, someone out there owns these cans and someone sprayed it. That's pretty ballsy. The nerve. The nerve. I'd like to get my hands on one of these cans. You know who I bet did it? What? Banksy. Probably. You know Banksy is using that mezzanine copies. That's yeah. actually his whole MO now is that Banksy only uses mezzanine to spray paint Only anything. the mezzanine. Yep. I think that we should be able to get our hands on these cans. Because right. there's a million copies in there. Yes. You do one little bitty spray. Right. And you pass it along. How many sprays do you need? You yeah, only need one little yeah, spray. You, I would think so. Everybody should be able to get a spray. Agreed. If it's a can, okay. can. Can we also talk about if we can take a million copies of this like album and put it inside of one can, why can't we just all have a copy of the digital copy? Doesn't that mean that it's pretty easy to just make the digital copy? We put it all in the fucking DNA. Like, we can have this, can't we? <laughs> like, 
We could, I suppose. You know what they did is they just made the synthetic DNA with it encoded, and then they just replicated it. Yeah, that's true. Which is still what they do. They have right. a digital. They have a digital master. They replicate it. Yeah. You know what? That's true. But I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to him, Mister <laughs> Naja. Excuse me. Give we us, would, give it to me. We would like a can now, please. Can please. Here's the thing. I don't. I don't want them to send me a digital format of the album because I don't think like like I want them. To obviously, like, I'm going to pay for the physical copy. You know, you put it onto a physical copy. I want to pay my artist. But if you've got that many DNA copies laying around in cans, like, come on. Like, give me yeah, a spray. Might as well just give us one. Give me a spray. Last question attempted, on this specific thing. I attempted thing. to Google. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, I, I attempted to eBay a can. Yes. I can't find one. Dang. We're going to have to do Where are these? If you, if you listeners. Listeners. There, <laughs> if you have one of these cans, I want to spray it. I here's my last oh, question yeah. to spend on the DNA spray can conversation. Okay, what do you think is the experience of like huffing the paint of mezzanine? Like, do you think that you get a whole different high by like huffing millions of copies of an album? All right, here's the answer. <laughs> I'm glad you have it. It's I got it. One. Yeah. Does normal spray paint have DNA in it? I think probably not. Like, this is the only spray paint in the whole world that has DNA in it. You think? I would would think so. Unless somebody else has done this. Because, again, like, you know, if they can – I don't know where they're putting all this DNA, Tyler. I don't know. I didn't even know you could put it into a spray can. Who puts – what spray paint's not made of DNA. It's not like a living organism. Right. It doesn't have DNA. But this spray paint does. So if I huff this spray paint into my body, I have now have mezzanine DNA inside of me. Yeah. And I'd will agree. will it morph with me? Will I become Massive Attack? When you open your mouth, the the notes of songs will start flowing out of you. Maybe I, I don't know so. what'll happen. I don't know. I I'm interested. You know what? Let me change my last statement that I made to yes. our listeners. If yes. you have one of these cans, yes, let me know because I want to huff it. <laughs> I'm I'm like honestly now. like we'll do it with you. New new Patreon. Be- Here's what we gotta do. We gotta what? get. Okay, listen. Hold on. We have to make a, a new patron tier, okay? So we're going to get a hold of one of these cans, and then the new patron tier, it's very expensive, but anybody who signs up gets the experience of huffing mezzanine with us. With us. Yeah, a collective us. mezzanine huffing. Yeah. Every I'm, month. I'm willing to we'll bet do a couple that potentially huffs. that DNA gets mingled with your DNA, uh-huh. and I'm now part mezzanine. And when I die and donate my body to science and they do weird stuff with it, I think they're d- going to take a little sample and they're going to say... There's something in here we're unfamiliar with. <laughs> and then is that they is that the song Black Milk? That I'm part mezzanine, and they could just listen to mezzanine from my dead body. <laughs> I like it. And then the idea of uh, so you know how like when you pass away, some people want their body to to be put into the ground so they can turn into a tree, right? Yeah, I want it to be played and shared. Well, no, that's what I was gonna say is do the same thing, but then the tree actually starts growing and making it's mezzanine. Yeah, mezzanine. Like it's a mezzanine tree. Turn my body into mezzanine. Everything is mezzanine. <laughs> we he had a horrible idea with this can. We should all have been doing the things we're talking about with this. Okay, hold on. How much mezzanine can we make, and at what point can we use so much DNA of mezzanine we can actually make a mezzanine human? Well, my thought how is much de- how much DNA do we need? Being, in what being will it replicate? Like when, in what, and to what extent of we the mezzanine DNA do you need to inject so into a being where that starts this. making mezzanine DNA? I don't know. 
Ah, there's a lot of very deep questions that come from this one here. It's to think about how many deep questions could, could come from just the inside of one singular can. Crazy. We've got to huff this paint. I got to huff this paint. There's no other gotta option. Got to huff this paint. Can't stop thinking about it now. All right. So I think we're going to close with my favorite song because I didn't say it yet. And uh, that's fine. So it's off mezzanine and it's dissolved girl. Ooh, that is a good one. I, I like that we're going to be able to make it through this whole episode without actually having to play Teardrop because what I'm going to tell you guys, if you want to listen to it, just go watch an episode of House. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week we were talking about Massive Attack. Next week we're going to be talking about Godspeed You, Black Emperor. But that's going to be in two weeks. We're still doing this bi-weekly thing. So if you want to hear us next week, go check out our sister podcast, Good Band, Bad Band. We're going to be doing King Gizzard and the Jesus Lizard Wizard. Check out our website, recordroundtable.com. For all necessary links, thanks for listening, and goodbye.